0: I in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again. Brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground immortality, mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from Rabadranath Takoro. A Beautiful End, Peace My Heart. Let the time for the parting be sweet. Let it not be a death, but completeness. Let love melt into memory and pain into songs. Let the flight through the sky end in the folding of the wings over the nest. Let the last touch of your hands be gentle, like the flower of the night. Stand still, O beautiful end. For a moment, you say your last words in silence. I bow to you. And hold up my lamp to light you on your way. My guest today is Angelo Merandino. He's a freelance photographer for Corpus News as well as Getty Images. Angelo's photographs have been exhibited in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Rome, Italy. Angelo's photo documentary, The Battle We Didn't Choose, My Wife's Fight with Breast Cancer, has received worldwide recognition. It's intimate, it's honest, and it's moving, and his photographs offer viewers a look inside the day-to-day life of a young couple facing breast cancer together. Angelo, when did you first pick up a camera and resolve that you really felt some kind of skill behind that lens?
1: Well, I'm still trying to figure out that skill part. Uh, (laughs) If there's anything that I've learned in my life, it's the, uh, the the pursuit of trying to really get better at things. And so I I, I feel like every time I pick up the camera, I'm uh, learning something new or or trying to reach for something um, that is eluding me. Um, but that said, um, you know, I when I was younger, one of my brothers, uh, he, he's a drummer, and. Um, He was on tour with Chubby Checker and they came to our hometown and he he brought me to the show and I sat in the front row and watched him playing and I thought, well, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And so I spent the early part of my life playing music and touring and doing all that, but I I got to a point where I really felt like the drums weren't a way that I could express what I was feeling and things that I saw in life that mattered to me. And uh, I felt like I was not able to truly express myself and uh, I took a, a bit of a break from playing the drums and I had been dating a, a young woman at the time who was a painter and she had a, a camera it was like a Canon AE1 program and she asked me if I wanted to try that and I looked through the the lens and things just looked really cool uh, everything looked different through that that lens and it was really clear to me from the beginning that this was something that I felt a connection to. I didn't understand it like I'm speaking right now, obviously. At the time, it was just like, wow, this is interesting. This feels good. And I I remember the sound of that first shutter, the the first photo I made. And uh, it's been a long road since then of of learning and uh, the ups and downs of learning anything. But it's always felt natural, not in the sense that it's it's easy, but natural in the sense that a, a camera up to my eye feels right to me.
0: So you have a brother who toured the world with Chubby Checker, and your photos are all over the world. Your parents must be very proud.
1: Well, I'm very fortunate to have uh, had two wonderful parents who were very supportive. Uh, I have 10 brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of the 11, and they've always, they were always uh, they, they passed in 2014, but they were all, always very supportive and encouraging of all of us going out and doing whatever it is that, that we felt in our heart as, as long as we were. You know treating people well, they just wanted us to be happy and to to be able to express ourselves so um, I'm definitely thankful for um for that blessing
0: yeah, it sounds like a lot of support too for your art. Did you have your photos on their walls and frame portraits when you were growing up?
1: Well, I was a little older when I started making photographs, so uh it wasn't as much of my childhood I was my late 20s when I started making photographs, but after that, you know, there were definitely a lot of photographs up around my parents' house. And even now, when I go over to my brothers' and sisters' homes, I see a lot of the photographs of uh, our family and my parents and nephews and nieces. So I'm thankful that, you know, the, the things that I make with a camera are appreciated by the people who are you know, more important to me than, than anyone else in the world.
0: There's a quote that I lifted directly from your website. It reads, I prefer not to use the word subject when referencing someone who is being photographed. A great conversation requires two people, talking and listening. I think a great photograph requires the same.
1: Yeah, thanks for... For noticing that, I was at a workshop, and there was a photographer. Her name is Lynn Johnson. She's a really wonderful photographer. There were a lot of other photographers speaking, and a lot of these photographers were war photographers. It was all photojournalism-based, and there was a lot of bravado going on. And, uh, And Lynn came up to speak, and she said, you know what, before I start, I'm just wondering if we can stop calling people subjects. And there was one of those moments I'll never forget. And of all the people that spoke, she made the biggest impact on me. Not that the other people don't respect the people they're photographing but it really just you see that in her work how much she respects and appreciates the people she's photographing and so you know I've thought about that and the idea of calling someone your subject just seems I don't want to be called a subject you know I have a name or you know I'm definitely sensitive to a lot of things but to me it, I think if I'm photographing somebody if I'm lucky I'm getting something out of it too you know that's the goal of someone's sharing something with me and if I listen I'll, I'll learn And it's, it's intimidating to have a camera in front of you. It's, you know, it's really a strange thing. And most people I find are are not comfortable with it. So I don't like to make people uncomfortable. Uh, I think it's the opposite for me. And so I think the biggest thing is respecting each other, you know, that that kindness goes a long way. And so if I just go into uh, a portrait session, projecting my thoughts onto it, then it's one sided. And, And as in that, uh, quote from my website: Any conversation needs two or more people talking and listening, and so I find that the best photographs are, you know, are born from that. When it's, you know, if I'm photographing someone and the light is really nice and the composition looks good and all of that, it might be a great theoretical technical photograph. But if that person doesn't trust me or doesn't give me something, then then it really doesn't have the same impact, I think, uh, as a photograph where there's emotion and love, and I think photographs I've really appreciated over time are, are the ones where the first thing that I get from it is a feeling uh, less than a, a thought from my brain, you know, so I, I think that that has to come from two people working together as opposed to, to one person really, you know, projecting his or her thoughts on the situation.
0: Your love story of meeting your wife, Jennifer, was so similar to how your parents met. Can you regale us with the fantastic way <laughs> your parents came to be, and then you and Jennifer?
1: Yeah, my parents uh, were born in the 20s, and um, my my dad's family is, is from a, a town in Sicily, and my mom's family is from a town uh, called Cottavili, which is southeast of Rome, and uh, my grandparents ended up in Akron, Ohio. There were a lot of jobs there, and um, my mom 's family was part of this organization It was called the the Carvelets club and so it was the people from that town had this space where you could go if you came to Akron and you know you could meet other people from the home country and you know you could get some help and find help finding work and just just adjusting to a new uh, way of life and so the, the Carvelets didn't care too much for the Sicilians, but um, my dad, he played the accordion, and there was a like a sausage and spaghetti dinner at the Carvelets Club, and my dad's band was playing, and my mom, her uh, her uncle, uh, for a time, was the president of the club, and, and she and her mother would, would help out, And so this night they were helping with the food preparation. And my mom and one of her girlfriends were out on the floor dancing, and my dad, he saw her from the stage, and he put down his accordion, and he went out and asked her to dance. And then uh, two weeks later he proposed, and that was in January. They met in February, he proposed, and then in June of that year they were married. So I had asked him years later after. Nearly 60 years of marriage. They were married almost 63 years, and they both passed. But um, you know, at that point, they had, it was before their 60th anniversary, and 11 kids and grandkids. And I asked him about that, and he said he just knew. And uh so I, I always thought that was a really special thing to to know as as a kid. You know, that to have those ideas about love and about loving somebody. It's not to say that their life together was perfect and that they never argued or had differences, but You know they they really stuck it out through whatever challenges they had and and they had a really special love together so when i met jen and um saw her when i saw her for the first time and had those feelings of
0: you know
1: i'm in love it didn't seem crazy to me because i had seen that with my parents and i think you know different people have different opinions on that idea of love at first sight but uh but i knew that it was real because i i am a product of that love and uh so you know a lot of a lot of the things that i'm saying now about my own personal experiences come from hindsight and time to think about things and reflect and formulate thoughts you know i i wasn't that clear with my thought at that moment but i just knew i i knew that i i had to at least try to uh spend the rest of my life with her and so it was just very special i'd never jennifer was a really kind human being and she was very supportive of people and Uh, For me, outside of my family, I had no one had ever believed in me the way that she did. So, you know, it was a love based on, you know, respect of each other and and care for each other and support of each other, you know, so I had never in my life experienced anything like that. So it was a very special time.
0: I had heard you say that you and Jennifer had the real similar goal to make each other's lives easier rather than harder. And then at the end of the day, after you fight the war outside the house and do everything you need to do, you can come home to that safe and that kind space of being together. And that was important to both of you. And in a short time, you are on a similar page. You married in Central Park. And then if you want to tell the rest of the story, five months later, yeah. you're diagnosed with breast cancer.
1: Yeah jen and i we were married in september of 2007 and and then it was five months later when uh, she called me and told me that she had breast cancer and jennifer had a history of um, you know her doctors would find lumps in her breasts and they always came back to not be cancer and so she had gone in to see her general practitioner and then the who had felt something she didn't like and said you should have this checked out, and you know I remember at that time I, I had no idea of how to, uh, or of why I sh- could think any differently, but I, I, just tried to to comfort her because she was very frightened, and I said what well, I think most people would say, maybe because, they want to believe this too, but I, I said you know let's let's not get excited, let's not worry until, we know something, you know it could easily just be that it's a lump, so she went and um, you know we, we had a biopsy done. And it came back that it was cancerous. And so it was, you know, I, I still feel that numbness, not to the same degree as when I first heard that, but life pretty much changed just like that. And I think it's the kind of thing that that happens to other people as opposed to happening to me, like that idea of, not that I didn't know about breast cancer. My mother had breast cancer and my father had lung cancer. And so it's not that I, I didn't know that these things happened, but to that point, I would led a pretty, if I really am honest to myself, a pretty easy life. It's not like I, you know, didn't work hard and, and wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't appreciative of my life, but I, I didn't really have any challenges. And then all of a sudden our life was pretty chaotic and there was a lot of unknown that we had to live with on a daily basis. And so, um, you know, we made decisions about what kind of treatment Jen would have and and whether she would have a double mastectomy or a lumpectomy and reconstructive surgery. And when you're not educated in that world of of medicine, uh, I think it's very difficult to make these decisions because there are people who spend many years studying these things and trying to understand them, and then all of a sudden you're thrown into that and you have to make decisions that are going to have an impact on your life, you know, so we ended up, we went through treatment, and a little, past the, a little bit past the, the one-year anniversary of our marriage is when Jen had finished treatment and, you know, chemo. Uh, there was a double mastectomy, chemotherapy, radiation, you know, reconstruction and radiation. And there we were, a year in the marriage, kind of trying to figure out what had just happened. And uh, we, we had a great support group during that time, which we were very thankful for. I can't imagine what that would have been like without our, our family and friends. And and we started to put our life back together, or to try, and everything was just different. You know, the, the best I can explain it is that it felt like everything I knew had been turned upside down and, and everything was challenged, things that I thought of as true. Now there were so many more questions. It was just a different angle on things, and, and mortality was much more present in our life. And so... Uh, Jen was free of cancer for about a year and a half, and then her cancer metastasized, and that was in April of 2010, and we were back in that world, except now, you know, it was, not that it was more serious, but it kind of was, because when the cancer, when it comes back, that's any person who's had cancer, that's kind of your worst nightmare, and um, unfortunately, they weren't able to get ahead of her cancer, and it continued to spread. Um, and during this time, we, we noticed that most people don't really understand what life with breast cancer is like. And, you know, before this happened to us, I was one of those people, you know, so I I think we tried to always keep our feet on the ground as far as not judging people for not doing what we needed them to do. But we also felt like we're getting in over our head here. We really need some help. And, um, so at that point, I I'd asked if it was okay to do this, you know, and I started photographing our life because I wanted to send these photos to our family to say, Hey, this is what's going on. They were, our family in Akron and Cleveland, that area, and we were in New York. So they weren't seeing the day-to-day challenges. You know, we'd have 15 day hospital stays and it's really hard to explain that sometimes a photo is more impactful. And so, um, I didn't have any intentions, of sharing these photographs or exhibiting them or or doing anything, it was more of a a way to communicate. And so as we were doing that, this is a lot of, when I talked about things being a two-way street in a photograph, you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that these photographs, they wouldn't have been what they are if Jennifer hadn't trusted me and if she hadn't given me the photographs, you know, it, it was the two of us. and. Ultimately, I, I did share the photographs with uh, Jen's permission online because we knew a lot of other people who also felt like their family and their friends didn't understand, and we thought maybe this is something that some people might share or relate to or to help other people think that they're not alone, that they're, they're not the only ones going through this. You know, a lot of people did respond to the photographs, um, and they were shared by some people. And then in December of 2011, Jen passed. And um, not long after that, there was a period where the photographs were shared a lot on, on social media and then um, had a lot of people who were more so in Europe and Asia. There were magazines that were printing the story and doing interviews about the whole experience. And, um, you know, I, I'm thankful that people responded to those photographs and that they've done something for people or they made people think because my, my favorite photographers, my favorite musicians or people are, are the ones who have inspired me to think or have done something that has helped to change the course of my life, you know. So it's, um, it doesn't make me understand why all this happened, but uh, something good has come from uh, what we went through. And I think that at times that, that's what keeps me going is the idea that there is something positive and helpful, you know, coming from that experience and not just uh, suffering and and death.
0: It's just amazingly brave, Angelo, that you would dig into these deep, very personal, really probably very frustrating and sad moments. And she trusted you, like you said, but to really share this, I know it was important for you to get other people to understand what your day-to-day life really looked like for the two of you. Uh, Wow, I I can't imagine some of the comments you probably got, and then you said you were receiving some emails from people all over the place, strangers reaching out, and were they calling to support you? Were they wanting to get advice? Were they saying, I'm a widower at age 40, how do you do this? What was mostly coming in?
1: Well, um, you know, I have to say that probably 99-something percent of the responses were positive. You know, there were the occasional messages that were aggressive and painful. And I I think in hindsight, that's more coming from someone else's experience than it is anything that I did other than make these photos. But, um, it was, it was really wonderful. I was fortunate to be on the receiving end of a lot of love and positive energy. And, uh, you know, people, there were a lot of other women who were going through this, who, for whatever reason, it gave them strength or, picked them up at a time when they were maybe wanting to stop with treatment. You know, I know a few women have mentioned that. And there were other people who, who used the photographs to share this with their families and friends. And there were people who were in a similar situation of being widowed young, and they responded. And then there was there was people who were, you know, decided they'd, they'd, they'd had a silly fight with their spouse. And they saw these photos and thought, oh, I got to go. We got to apologize and, and tell each other we love each other. So it was, you know, it was humbling for me that something that, that I had a part in making affected people that way. And, um, you know, it, it, it was something that helped me to get through a difficult time in life when, when I, you know, after Jen passed and I, I, you know, I was dealing with anxiety and a lot of depression and all these things that were coming to the surface after years of trying to always be strong for Jen and and these photos and having a voice and having a response from other people. I think it's what helped me to get through to this point in my life now because I could think some thoughts through or express myself and, and people were willing to listen and to respond with kindness. And I think that's, you know, probably one of the greatest gifts of my life is that, you know, people could have easily not responded to this, but, you know, it, it, it gives me hope. There are times in this day and age with the craziness of the world right now where I, I forget that there are as many good people as there are, and, and that experience, I think, if I can not get too far away from it, it helps me to remember and to stay hopeful and, and positive.
0: A year after Jennifer's passing, you decided to move back to Cleveland from New York so you could spend the quality time with your parents. And with that move grew the Goodbye at the Door series.
1: Yeah, my parents were in their 80s, and um, I was still living in Manhattan, and I really enjoyed it, but I just kept thinking, you know, I've been away from where I grew up for the majority of my adult life, and I just felt it was important to get back with them, and it was, you know, kind of something I just, my parents would always go to the door to wave us goodbye, it didn't matter who it was, or how many people were still in the house, they always did that, and I always have a camera, and i photograph a lot of my day-to-day life, and I just started that series of photographing them, waving goodbye at the door, and um, you know, unfortunately my dad passed before I had published that, but it was really special um, to share that with my mom and to share with her a lot of the things that people were saying who had, you know, seen that body of work, and um, it turns out there's um, there's an art library, the Akron Library has an art-sharing program, And they brought one of the photos of that series into this program and people have sent me pictures of that up in their house. So, you know, for me, it's a really special way to share what I feel to be a a really blessed childhood and and upbringing of my parents with them now being part of this collection and in the neighborhood that we all grew up in. So, um, you know, it's it's something that so many people do. You know, I'm not reinventing the wheel with these photographs but you know i think that we all feel so many of the same things despite how different we can all seem to be from each other you know and i feel like if we can as humans sometimes put aside certain differences we have and just remember how much we all feel that is the same as the other person regardless of you know skin race age whatever you know i i feel like it's a simple thing at the end of the day um And that's what I I want to try and capture in my photographs.
0: That's a beautiful message. I guess not
1: capture because I I don't think that's a capture as in put in a cage. I guess more expressed through my photographs.
0: Yeah, it's a gorgeous message. And that's kind of why we're here on earth. If you can put your head on your pillow at the end of the day and know that you did good things and did the best as possible. And I know that when you were taking these photographs, it's very evident you weren't looking at having some sort of a showing to be the end result. You loved your parents. You loved your wife. You were trying to increase. or encapsulate digitally those moments and really get the feeling behind everything. And it's amazing how it grew to be what it is. In the last parting minute here, where can people see your new projects and anything else you're doing? Uh,
1: I, I try to keep everything up on my website, just my name, AngeloMarendino.com. There's a, a series up there called In Dad's Chair. Um, I inherited my dad's chair after my parents passed, and I've Made about 65 or so portraits of people in that chair. And it's just been a, I invite people over to the studio. We have a cup of coffee and talk. And it's just been a nice experience to uh, not communicate just by a phone, but to get back in presence with each other. So I, my website's a good start. And I always share things on Instagram as well. So I try to keep active and, and, and keeping that up to
0: date. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you so very much to my guest, photographer Angelo Marandino. You can find him and his work at his website, and I'll spell that out for you. Angelo A N G E L O M E R E N D I N O A-N-G-E-L-O-M-E-R-E-N-D-I-N-O.com. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.